Well, good morning, everyone. Pastor Allen, welcome, especially uh, to you moms or you surrogate moms. Um, some of you have been moms to other children, foster care, or, or family members. And um, so we thank you for all of you. Um, all of our moms have played, or mom surrogates have played a big part in who we are as adults. Um, we're in a series, and it doesn't involve mothers, so we're going to talk about science today. Hopefully it doesn't um, upset anyone, but uh, we're going to talk about, can I believe in God and science? Now, why does science, this is on your outline, why does science sometimes seem to be in conflict with the Bible? In fact, some people think that you cannot be an intelligent, rational, educated person and believe all this stuff that's in here because it conflicts with so much science or what they would say is truth. Um, came across the story of a fifth grader. and We have some teachers here. And uh, she, uh, the teacher was saying that um, Jonah couldn't have been swallowed by a whale because the whale's throat you know, was some, you know, small like this. And this fifth grader was... A, attended church, went to Sunday school, and she said, well, I was taught in church that he, that he did. And she said, well, no, it's impossible. And then the girl said, no, I was taught that, that it really happened. And eventually, the girl started crying. So teachers, you don't make your students start crying, do you? No, you don't ever do that. But anyway, she started crying, and she said, when I get die and go to heaven, I'll talk to Jonah about it. And the teacher said, well, what if he's not in heaven? What if he's in hell? And then she said, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> I don't know if it's a true story or not, but I thought it was cute. But the illustration is important, right? For one thing, the Bible doesn't say whale. It says a large fish. And um, so we, want, we don't want to be in argumentative territory this morning. We want to make this positive. So on your outline, some see the relationship between science and the Bible as competitive. Well, the problem with it being competitive, if you have a winner, you also have a what? A loser. If you have something that's truth, then the other side has to be false. And so that's not the stance I don't think most of us believe or want to take that stance. So what if the relationship between the science and Bible on your outline isn't meant to be competitive? I don't believe it is. But cooperative. They can go together, if you will. So again, what if instead of either or, we could actually choose both? And we don't do this in other areas of life. For example, moms, do you tell your kids you've got to have a peanut butter sandwich or a jelly sandwich, but you can't have them together? Parents don't do that, do they? You can have salt but not pepper. You can have pepper and not salt. So we make these false dichotomies, I guess you might say. Now, there was a, a pretty ancient theologian by the name of Augustine, about 400 years after Jesus, so it makes him 1,600 years ago, and um, probably the most famous uh, theologian from that era, era, and he came to this conclusion on this topic. And this kind of stood for about a 1,000 years. It's the way the church felt about it anyway. The conflict between science and faith comes from either misunderstanding of science or misunderstanding of the Bible. So like I said, for over a thousand years, this is kind of the general idea for most people. Then about the 1800s, the scientific world 
as well as the industrial world and lots of other worlds just exploded, right? So there's all this new scientific information, etc. And mankind came to start to believe that science can explain everything. Now that's kind of silly, but that's kind of the mindset of some part of our culture. So back to that dichotomy. Uh, we see it. We see it in Scripture, for example. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. From uh, Revelation, Jesus said this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Well, if you're a beginning, you can't be the end. If you're the end, you can't be the beginning, logically, right? But we believe that's true because Jesus was eternal. Uh, another example, John chapter 1, speaking about Jesus. The Word, or Jesus, became flesh and made His dwelling among us. One of the big controversies in the early church was, well, Jesus was a real man, but He really wasn't God. And some believe that He was really God, but He really wasn't a man. But no, 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 we don't believe that. There isn't a dichotomy that Jesus was fully man and He was fully God. There's another one in this verse. Uh, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of two things, grace and truth. I can't explain this. I believe it, but I, I can't be full of grace and full of truth. <laughs> uh, sometimes I can't be gracious if I have to defend truth or vice versa, but Jesus was. So false dichotomy. <clears throat> and another thing, this is, this is a wonderful book, but it's not a science textbook, is it? It's not what it's designed to be. There's some great science in there. I'll talk about that in a minute, but it's not a science book. That's not its purpose. So Science seeks to explain uh, truths about the natural world, the world and the way the, the world operates. The Bible reveals truth about the spiritual world. Kind of look, like look at it like this. Um, most of us have been to the beach, and there'll be people, especially kind of early in the morning, walking around on the beach with this machine. We call it what? A metal detector. Now, the name tells you what its purpose is. So, it detects metal, coins or rings or whatever, in the sand. Does it detect sand? No, if it detected sand, it would be useless, right? Uh, does it detect glass or detect uh, plastic? No, it doesn't detect any of those things. It's a specific tool for a specific purpose. So, different tools have different purposes. And so this book's purpose isn't to explain the scientific world. Even again, there's some wonderful truths and scientific truths in it. A guy by the name of John Cavanaugh was uh, uh, a college professor, and he was a pretty famous ethicist. I can't say that word. Ethics, anyway. He taught ethics and believed in ethics. And they tried to I can't say it. The person that teaches ethics is trying to uh, explain the world, uh, what's right and wrong, and the purpose and meaning in life, right? And so he was struggling with that. So he decided to go visit, of all people, Mother Teresa. For whatever reason, he thought she, she had it all figured out. And so he went to Calcutta, India, to uh, interview her. And the first thing she asked him was, how can I pray for you? And his response was, okay, I would like you to pray for me for clarity. I want to be clearly understood, stand the purpose and meaning of life. You know what his response was? I'm not going to pray for you. 
He said, well, well, you figured it all out. You, you have clarity. Um, why won't you play for me to have clarity? Um, here's a, some quotes from his book. Clarity is the last thing you're clinging to and must let go of. I've never had clarity. Kind of funny. What I've always had is trust. She was a wealthy lady from Italy and gave that all up to, to, to work with the poor in India. So she didn't do that because of clarity. She did that because of trust. So I'm going to pray. So she did pray for him. I pray that you trust God. So it's not always about, always about answers. Sometimes it's about faith. Now, those of us who are adults, remember back in school, you would take science classes or other classes. You say, I'm never going to use this as an adult, right? Well, I'm going to use something from my seventh grade science class, whatever grade it was. All right? It's called the scientific method. There's lots of ways to just diagram it, but we'll diagram it this way. You have an observation or a question about something in the physical world. So you research that topic area, and you come up with a hypothesis. Well, maybe this is why this is happening, or this is like this, right? And then you set up some kind of experiment to test your hypothesis. And then you analyze your results, right? Sometimes you get the results you want, and you say, yes, that's true. It's proven true. Other times, more often than not, I think, it's proven to be not true. Now, the interesting thing is, if your hypothesis isn't true, do you give up on science? You don't give up on science. You just come up with a new hypothesis. And so, as believers, those of us who are believers, if you're not, we're glad that you're here. Hopefully, you can give me some feedback on this. But um, as believers, we believe in the truth. So, if you come to me with scientific proof, Right? The scientific method, it'd be foolish for me, it would be ignorant of me not to believe it, right? Now, there's a lot of stuff that's called science that doesn't adhere to the scientific method, right? So, in some ways, it's more of a religion than it is science. And these things change. The scientific world used to tell us that the earth was the center of the universe. That's what everybody believed, right? And the sun rotated around the earth. Also believed the earth was flat, right? Lots of things that eventually proved to be otherwise. There's things in the natural world like uh, my parents smoked. Everybody thought smoking was fine. It, it was just not long after that, they started putting on cigarette packs that this is dangerous to your health. Uh, when I was born... They came across, they, they just came up with this um, baby formula, right? And it was supposed to be better than mama's milk, right? Well, I think we, we believe, when our kids came along at least, that mama's milk was better. And so we, my wife, not me, we, <laughs> nursed our four kids, right? So these things are changeable. One of the fascinating things to me, though, is um, I read through the Old Testament, well, Bible every year, but through the Old Testament, and there's this part that describes all these kind of laws and rules, dietary things and skin diseases and all that. Now, back 3,000 years ago, they didn't know anything about germs and the microscopic and all that. But if you read that, the amazing thing to me is 
if you knew all that, this was probably the decisions you would make. If you got a disease, you know, separate yourself for a week, and certain food, foods, especially without uh, refrigeration, would be dangerous to eat, etc. It's just fascinating to me. So, if it can be proven by science, it'd be foolish for us to consider that not true. So I put on your outline, you don't have to know every answer to every question. Science certainly doesn't have the answer to every question, does it? The trust in Jesus. It will always take a degree of faith. This is religion. It's not science. Just a reminder, what Scripture says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So you can't be in the spiritual realm without faith. Another way to think about that. So I'm going to try something. It might be a little dangerous this morning or tricky. But I want us to think scientifically about spiritual things so we can build our faith. You know, try to tackle three different areas. First one's this. I call it qualities of both science and Scripture, where they go hand in hand. The beginning of everything. Beginning. Well, the beginning of this book, it tells us what happens at the beginning, right? Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let me bring that up. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, this I thought was really interesting. Um, up to about 100 years ago, science told us that the universe always existed. That's what they believed. And then about 100 years ago, they came up with this, might be less than that, what do most scientists believe about the creation of the universe now? We have a name for it. It's called the what? Big Bang Theory. Now, what's is really fascinating to me is they're saying that the universe wasn't eternal, that there was a beginning point, right? Now, that if you're not a, a, a Christian, you don't believe that beginning point was God, but we have an explanation for that, right? Who was the cause of the Big Bang. We say God was the cause of it, right? So again, hand in hand. Now, why would God create the universe? Well, the answer to why God does anything is the same answer. Love. God isn't loving. He is love. So everything he does is a result of love. So he created the universe. He, most importantly, he created you and I out of his love. So that's an area which I find fascinating that we can go hand in hand. Science and Scripture. Secondly, qualities of both science and Scripture is the design of the universe. We could spend hours on this, but we won't. There's a, a, there's a beauty and a sense of purpose and a sense of organization and, and how things fit together and work as we look at the universe around us, isn't it? And that's why you have all the natural laws. That, that's part of that. I thought of this example. Um, you take a seed, a seed to anything. Uh, take a fruit or vegetable, whatever. Take a seed. You plant it in the ground so with the right moisture and the right sunlight and the right amount of nu nutrients, it will grow into that plant. The other fascinating thing is, though, that plant will produce seeds that reproduce that plant, right? That's just part of the design of the universe. So, Genesis 1, verse 2 says what? 
Now the earth was without shape and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the watery deep, but the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Uh, we that are Jesus followers believe that that was God at work. Now I came across, and we have a scientist or two here in our, our midst. They probably knew this term, and I didn't know this term. It's called an astronomical constant. Some of you others might know it. Anyway, there's approximately 150, what I was reading, 150 astronomical constants. You don't have to remember that term. It just means, for example, if the earth was closer to the sun, we couldn't exist. And if the earth was farther away from the sun, we couldn't exist. If it didn't have the tilt it has, if it didn't have the spin it has, there's 150 of these astronomical constants. And so the odds of all of those things being true, this was, I find, fascinating. A mathematician or scientist, don't know his title, his name is Roger Penrose, calculated the odds. Now, some huge, huge, huge number I, I can't even describe, but he gave some examples. And here it is. The odds of all these 150 astronomical constants just happening randomly is the same as winning the lottery 10,000 times in a row. Not just once, not just twice, but 10,000 times in a row. But that number's not big enough. Every time you went, won the lottery, you are struck by lightning. That's how big that number is. So basically, it's impossible for these 150 astronomical constants to exist, we would say, without God. The psalmist says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I love these pictures. They have the universe now, and, uh, these uh, pictures. It's just beautiful, isn't it? The sky displays His handiwork. Day after day, it speaks out. Night after night, it reveals His greatness. I got this guy's name wrong in the first service. The famous atheist. Christopher Hetchens. Anyway, he said the most, atheist, okay? Famous atheist. The most compelling argument for the existence of God is what I just talked about. Duh. What other explanation is there? The odds the, are astronomical for any other reason to explain the universe the way it exists. All right. And third area, kind of crossing over from the one area to the other, Qualities of both science and scripture is the resurrection of Jesus. Another term I learned this week. Christianity is the only falsifiable religion. You know what that means is? You can prove it's true, basically what it means. Um, so what is the foundation of Christianity? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. Foundation of Christianity, what is it? If Christ had not been raised, so the foundation of Christianity is resurrection, right? But if Christ had not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. That means useless, amounting to nothing. It's a waste of time. And your faith is also vain, imaginary, unfounded, devoid of value and benefit, not based on truth. Now, we would say this book is trustworthy because of the resurrection. So this... This one author took on this project and he investigated 3,600 resources, people giving information or feedback on the fact of the resurrection. Some Christians, obviously, 
some not. And so he made a list. He called in the six minimal facts around the resurrection. So to be on this list, 90% of those 3,600 references had to include it. Some of them 100%, all right? So we'd say that's pretty trustworthy, right? Or factual. So let's look through them real quickly. Verse 1, 100%. Everybody agreed. <laughs> Jesus was a real person, died by Roman crucifixion. Nobody argues about that. Well, nobody, you know, sensibly argues about that. So the fact, there was a guy named Jesus, and he was a real person, and he died by Roman crucifixion. So we're believing in the resurrection of this person, right? Second fact, Jesus' followers experienced what they believed, uh, you and I weren't there, but they believed, to be actual appearances of the resurrected Jesus. Not somebody that looked like Jesus, but actual resurrected Jesus. So over 90% of these sources said that was true. And I think most of us would believe that's true, right? They believed it. You might not believe it was true, but they believed it was true, right? Third fact, because of this belief, or this experience, they were willing to die for the faith in the resurrected Jesus. I don't know about you, if I make up a story, I don't think I'm going to die defending it. Are you? So these folks believed enough, count the disciples in, in that group, Stephen's another one, they believed pretty strongly then if they were willing to die for it. You can almost believe it. Uh, another minimal fact. The Christian church, nobody argues with this, started after Jesus was killed, where he was killed. It didn't happen 50 years later, say, hey, I think this guy Jesus was a pretty interesting guy. Why don't we start a religion by him, about him? And maybe some other part of the world. Actually there. So it happened. Where the church started is actually where the crucifixion and we believe the resurrection happened. One I talk about quite often because it's one of my favorite is Jesus, well, the half-brother Jesus, James, excuse me, was not a Christian in the Gospels. We don't, we don't see James show up. Best we can tell, he, he, didn't, he didn't believe his brother is who he said he was. And you and I wouldn't either. After he saw the resurrected Jesus, he not only became a believer, he became a leader in the church. And what would cause you to do that? Belief in your brother. That'd be pretty strong evidence, wouldn't it? And one more evidential fact was Paul, this guy named Paul, who was made his goal in life to stamp out Christianity. His testimony is he saw the risen Christ years later. And then he began starting churches around the Mediterranean Sea and wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. But bottom line is this, folks, and I don't, again, I don't want to create an argument about science. Why do I believe Jesus was who he said he was? It's not even because it's in this book. I mean, that gave me foundation information. And it's not because science can prove it or not. It's because Jesus changed me. I asked my wife, she knows me better than anybody else, if this was true in the first service. 
Am I a different person now than I was 46 years ago <laughs> when we got married? Am I a different person? Now, by different, I mean better, okay? I could be worse, you know, a grumpy old man. But anyway, um, no, I, I'm a different person than I was 46 years ago or 40 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago. I could be a grumpy old man. I can't take credit for the fact that I am hopefully a better person today than I was because Jesus worked that in me. I'd be a selfish, self-centered, mean old man if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus continued to work on me and change me. Do I have doubts sometimes? Yes, that's what this series is about. So I keep asking questions and looking for answers. But as we said back in the beginning of this series, your doubts don't disqualify your faith. In fact, they can actually be part of a growing faith. I mean with this, how did Jesus say, that people would know that we are his disciples? Was it by defending some scientific fact like the Bible? No. He said, by this you will know my disciples, by your love for one another. So whatever your stance is on science, make sure we love one another. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I love science. I thank you for science. I thank you that they figure out things that some answers to questions we have. But they don't have all the answers. And unfortunately, some things are called science, so they aren't really science. And I think that's causing doubts in some, in some people's minds. So I would pray, even though Mother Teresa wouldn't pray for this, I'd pray for clarity, that we'd figure that out. What is true science and believe that? And what is scripture and, and believe that? Many scientists are believers. They have no conflict. And if you're someone that's, that because of some science class or some science teacher or something you read or something you saw is causing you to doubt, I pray that you, you would continue to seek. Because it doesn't need to be in conflict. Truth is truth. So we thank you, Jesus, that you love us enough to come to earth, suffer and die, and then be resurrected to conquer death and give us a promise of eternity. So we pray, if you are without faith this morning, that today would be the day. Yes. There's no really better explanation of this world this universe than the fact that God loved us enough to create it and God loved us enough to send his son to die for us to redeem us and to redeem this world for those of you that are struggling with faith or thinking about faith please allow us to be part of that please be in conversation or communication with us we'd like to help most of us are Jesus followers, but even as Jesus followers, we can read or hear something that causes us to doubt. So let's kind of believe what Augustine taught, that if there's a conflict, it's not because there's a conflict, it's just because we're not understanding either science or misunderstanding the Bible.
God, we love the fact that you are truth. We're not afraid of truth. We thank you in the name of Jesus. In the name we pray. Amen.